Welcome to The Paleo View. I'm best-selling author and co-creator of realeverything.com, Stacey Toth. I focus on being healthy inside and out through real life, food, and talk. I'm Dr. Sarah Ballantyne, New York Times best-selling author and creator of thepaleomom.com. I'm passionate about improving scientific literacy around public health topics. I like hashtags and bone broth. And I'm just a super nerd. Hello, welcome back to the Paleo View, episode 390. Look, I'm like full of joy and positivity. What's happening? <laughs> uh, you must be recovered. I Well, 100% I am. And um, we are in a really good groove with life. You know, we were in this like season of change for so long, but Matt is officially a mailman delivering the mail with a work schedule. And I am the parent responsible for drop off and pick up and I'm getting into a routine and going to water aerobics. I've been with routine. There is just such um, joy for me. I know that's not the way it is for everybody, but I really thrive off of like schedules and lists and stuff like that. And so for me, I'm, <laughs> I'm like, same. yeah. And so I'm like, okay, I know my schedule. Now I know exactly like which days I'm going to do what. And um, there's just this I don't know, ease to not having to make decisions about some of that stuff. So I'm super excited. I feel like I've really been rocking the work from home mom stuff. Like I haven't missed picking up any kids. I've been making warm breakfasts. Everybody's getting their lunches. These are the simple things, quote unquote, <laughs> in life that are like really making me feel good these days. Um, I have... Um... I'm just coming out of a, a weekend that was entirely uh, kid activity focused, and it was just the most crazy busy weekend of like, oh, yep, this is uh, we're parenting now, woohoo! Um, so I we had we've had two two robotics competitions in the last three days. <laughs> oh, robotics! It's competitive robotics is awesome, um, but it's. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm sort of, I, I'm, I feel what you're saying, but from the, um, perspective of, uh, the exhaustion that sometimes comes with being a work at home mom, just because that's been my reality for the last few days, it's just been like, oh, it's, it's, there's too much to balance and something's got to give. Um, and, uh, Yeah. Yeah, we're. I'm looking forward to getting back into a more normal, a normal looking routine. Robot, robotics club is officially over for the year, so um, in February, which seems awfully strange, but <laughs> hopefully that'll mean things will settle down now. I think it's really freaking cool, robotics club. I, I'm gonna need videos. Can you please send them? Are you sharing them on Insta stories? Where can I see the robotics in action? <laughs> I, I am not sharing on Insta stories because I like to maintain uh, a little bit of a line between my kids' personal lives and um, my messaging on social media. 
Um, but I can definitely send you a video. Also, I guess I should also, I should proud, I should proud mama a little bit. Um, because this is Mira, my 10 year old who is like super into robotics and technology in general. Like I, I was having the conversation with my husband the other day. I'm like, okay, so some kind of engineer is, is what this kid is, is like really like racing towards. Um, so robotics club was definitely a fun learning experience. Uh, her team did not make state, but she did <laughs> like weekend before last, uh, win for the second year in a row, the countywide technology competition. Um, last year she won in robotics and this year she run one in animation and is going to state. So, um, that was another a project that she spent, I think probably like 30 hours on just another huge, it was a, it was a one minute long stop motion animation video, uh, done with Lego, but she made like, she made a scene, she made a, it's like, it was a little, it was a little like anti-pollution PSA. It was super, it was super adorable. Uh, she hired three amazing voice actors. Mom, dad, and sister. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, and, uh, and really it was like seven over 750 frames, um, that she, she did. And then she did about 10 hours. I can't believe you on it. like had to be probed for this proud, like Mira and <laughs> Stacy is proud of you. Send me the videos, please. Uh, Wesley is yes, going to. Videos, the videos can get sent in a, in a text message. Um, but I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure our listeners understand that it is, I consider it, not my job to break the privacy wall on my kids' behalf. Yeah, no, I to- I um, totally get that. My kids are attention starved and love it. Um, <laughs> they're always like, "Are you going to share that on Instagram?" I want to know how many <laughs> likes I get. Um, <laughs> but um, Wesley is also um, they geek out like that together, and so I will love sharing that with him. What? are we supposed to be talking about other than being parents? <laughs> not, not related at all. So, so a uh, hard transition coming up. Uh, we have a really excellent question from Mackenzie. And when I saw this come in, I thought this is a really um, common challenge faced by, um, you know, autoimmune disease sufferers and people with other types of chronic illness that have gone through like an autoimmune protocol journey and face some kind of setback. And it's kind of a different uh, talking point around the autoimmune protocol than we've really covered on the show before. And it's something that I, I, I do talk about in the AIP lecture series, but I'm not sure in, in even quite this context. And so I just saw this question come in. I'm like, oh, this is, this is just, I think, a, a, really, a really important uh, sort of like, how do we approach this? Uh, I think of the autoimmune protocol as a, a toolkit, right? That's just full of different tools to help us navigate different kinds of of health challenges. How do we approach this at this point in the health journey? So I'll I'll read Mackenzie's question and then we'll jump in. But I I just thought this was this was a really uh, sort of we've we've talked about this in a in a very different context in a tangential way. And I kind of like the opportunity to sort of flip, flip the coin or I don't know what the right idiom is here, but, but sort of talk about it in this different context. So Mackenzie wrote, 
I first just want to say that your podcast is my go-to for everything in my life. I now live for my Thursday afternoons so I can listen to the newest podcast. I think we know why Mackenzie's question got picked. Okay, yes. So it, it, <laughs> it, okay. I, I really misdirected. That's the real reason. My question to you is, I did AIP and reintroduced many foods. Now I'm basically paleo with a few other exceptions, but I recently had blood work done and my DHEA and thyroid levels have dropped. I'm working with my naturopath now to get back to my normal, but I didn't know what I could do at home to help as well. Should I go back to the elimination phase of the AIP? Any help would be great. Thank you in advance. I just want to reiterate that this is something that I think we all go through. I mean, we talk about phases of life and how stress and different lifestyle factors can affect how our body reacts to what it could be willing to tolerate as far as food. So I love the idea that we're visiting this because I think it's something that every single person who's done this process refaces at some point in their life. Mm -hmm. And I think it also can speak to those people who get test results, but aren't necessarily seeing symptoms, which is another thing that we hear about. Um, It makes it very difficult to figure out how to eliminate and reintroduce when you aren't having symptoms. So I think this kind of applies to both and something we actually hear more commonly than not. And um, I love the idea that Mackenzie submitted this. So Thank you for your kind words and amazing question, friend. <laughs> yeah, and I and I what I think is so interesting is we've talked about the the context of the person who is like diehard AIP and not seeing results and like how hard do I continue to hit my head against the wall before I, you know, try, you know, when is it okay to try reintroductions if I'm not feeling better, right? We've we've kind of tackled the question from that perspective. But I think this is, a, as you said, Stacey, a really common experience in, you know, we've used the autoimmune protocol, we've done reintroductions, we've hit, you know, a sort of individualized maintenance phase of the AIP, whether you call that modified AIP or AIP plus, or uh, you call that graduating from AIP. Like, I, I think a lot of us resonate with different sorts of terminology around that. Um But I think that, you know, one of the amazing things about the autoimmune protocol is it is this, it is the structure of it is set up so that we really learn about our own bodies and we learn about our own food triggers and lifestyle triggers and we learn our own individual tolerance to the eliminated food. So there are foods that are eliminated on the AIP that have uh, some potential to be problematic, but can work for a lot of people. And if they do work for you, have the capacity to be um, enriching and, and to contribute valuable nutrition to the diet. And so I think that one of the great things about, you know, really going through the autoimmune protocol and, and going through reintroductions methodically is this learning experience. Um, So what do you do when you hit, okay, there's been some kind of trigger. Um, I've I've either got some stressful event or uh, some, I'm recovering some some kind of infection, Um, you know, some something that has changed in my life um, or even something amorphous that I can't put my finger on that is, you know, slipping. What do I do? And I think this is where, Um, you know, in, in an ideal situation, uh, for someone who was very methodical with their reintroductions, um, what 
what most of us end up in in sort of a maintenance phase of AIP or graduated AIP, uh, we have foods that we know work really well for us. So we've reintroduced some foods that we know 100% of the time these foods are great and we feel really good eating them on a daily basis. And then we have this sort of second group of foods that I sort of think of them as uh, sometimes foods, <laughs> wiggle room foods. They're foods that we tolerate when everything else is dialed in. So when we are you know, eating a nutrient-dense diet, our stress is well-managed, our activity levels are appropriate, um, we're getting enough sleep, right? When everything else is good, these are foods that aren't going to necessarily affect us. But when anything else starts to slip, right, we're, we're not being as proactive on the nutrient density front, or we're maybe pushing it a little bit too hard at the gym, or we're recovering from an infection. We've been doing a lot of travel, so we've challenged our sleep schedule, our circadian rhythms. Um, when something like that starts to slip, these are foods that our bodies are going to react negatively to. So Mackenzie's situation, um, if we we start with the, um, let's start with the assumption of Mackenzie has done reintroductions in this way where um, she's identified both foods that, you know, are just, you know, they just definitely work for her and foods that are sort of reserved for occasional treats or, right, we're eating in a restaurant, so we'll have this once in a while. I would definitely recommend in this sort of flare type or other health setback type situation of not necessarily going all the way back to the AIP elimination phase, but go, taking out those sometimes foods, right? Taking out the foods that we know are, they're not helping us, right? They're delicious and we love them from time to time, but our bodies tolerate them when we've got everything else dialed in, uh, you know, some kind of, um, you know, test results or symptoms that are showing things are not dialed in, that's a good time to take those out. Um, so, you know, that starting with the assumption of having previously gone through reintroductions in a fairly methodical way, we can take out those sometimes foods. Um, making the opposite assumption, uh, you know, it's, it's um, still a fairly common experience for people to maybe start out with reintroductions methodically, but then have so many successes that it starts to just kind of be a more of a free-for-all. And I mean, I'm raising my hand here as somebody who who really did that for myself and then that backfired and had to go back and be more methodical. But really, it wasn't until like the fourth time through that I was actually successful at the methodical reintroductions. So like if this resonates with you, don't do, don't feel bad. Very common experience. Um, or to do a bunch of reintroductions at once because it happened to be at a potluck or a restaurant or while traveling or right at um, someone's house for dinner. And you just go, okay, well, there's five, five foods I'm reintroducing. Okay, we'll just see what happens. And then not necessarily being able to discern which one of those was a sometimes food versus a working food, but it seemed okay. So we're just going to have them all in our diets now. Um, those are, those are really common experiences. Um, so don't, don't, uh, don't feel like you failed reintroductions just because that's how reintroductions went for you. I think it's probably more common to have reintroductions be a little bit chaotic than super methodical, 
But if you are in a position where you don't really know what foods you've reintroduced are completely working for you versus sometimes foods and you're faced with a health setback, uh, one of your options is to go back to full elimination uh, phase of the autoimmune protocol. And then as you recover from this health setback, that's a good opportunity to then be more methodical with reintroductions so that next time, and there will be a next time, I mean, there's all kinds of things that can challenge our health um, that we have no control over that's not related to our daily diet and lifestyle choices. So chances of there being another health setback at some point in our lives is, you know, close to 100%. So, um, so going through reintroductions more methodically now um, so that next time you've got this like two ways of classifying foods as like, yes, these ones are for sure working for me. I don't ever need to eliminate these again. And these are the ones that are, uh, maybe, you know, a slow burn type reaction or, um, they're, they're really not adding to my diet. There's something in here that's, uh, you know, my body is reacting to, but it's just a very mild reaction. So if I only have this once a month, it's fine. Right. I can, I can separate the reintroduced foods into these two categories, and I know which ones to eliminate next time. So you can take this as your sort of opportunity to go back to full elimination phase AIP and then tackle methodical reintroductions. But there's like this third option. And this is um, one of the things that, you know, when I um, when I start the last week of the AIP lecture series really covers a lot of lifelong health journey aspects. So we, we cover reintroductions, we cover troubleshooting, um, we cover a lot of um, sort of balance and sustainability type topics, a lot of, you know, common pitfalls that people um, find themselves into. We cover functional medicine, uh, you know, and all of the the different testing that might be appropriate if you're having, you know, different types of uh, ongoing symptoms or setbacks or, or lack of results. So all of that is covered in the last week of the course. And, um, and one of the things that we go through in the troubleshooting lecture is, right, step one, um, you know, is there a facet of the autoimmune protocol that um, more focus on implementation would be required, right? So is there, is there something, for example, the nutrient density piece can be a really big uh, stumbling block for, for a lot of people because uh, a aversion to organ meat or to shellfish or even to, um, you know, vegetables and fruit outside of a, of a core group of, you know, like it's, it's fairly common for people to not like some of the most nutrient dense foods that are, really promoted on the autoimmune protocol. And so the other approach to a health setback is to have a look at this maintenance AIP that we're on or graduated AIP and go, okay, what are the core principles of the autoimmune protocol? Um, Let's assume all of the foods that are reintroduced are foods that are actually working for us. But is there a core principle of the autoimmune protocol that I'm not implementing to the best of my ability right now that could use some additional focus or commitment. Um, Nutrient density being one possible one. So that could take the, um, that could could be one of many shades, right? So it could be not eating enough fruit or vegetables, not eating enough organ meat, not eating enough seafood, uh, letting the sugar intake slide, 
not getting enough fermented foods. Um, maybe if you're trying to lose weight, having too big of an energy deficit. Um, so a, a larger energy deficit can really mess with some hormones and drive, drive inflammation. Um, maybe it is the common pitfall of falling into a too low carb version of autoimmune protocol, whatever phase of that you're, you're in. So having a look at the, you know, micronutrients, paying a little bit of attention to macronutrients and just having a look at, you know, diet wise, am, am, am I getting the nutrients that my body needs, right? That, that question applies not just to the autoimmune protocol, not just to paleo. It, it applies to whatever shade of AIP, paleo, ancestral, um, right? Mediterranean. I mean, that, that is, I, I really firmly believe that getting the nutrients that our body needs for all of the chemical reactions that are happening in our body at every given moment is the primary criteria of whether or not a diet is a health promoting diet. I think that where bioindividuality is reflected is in tolerance to food toxins, anti-nutrients and things like that. But I think getting the nutrients our bodies need is universally across the board true. We our our bodies need all of these nutrients, essential and non-essential. We need them all. Um, so that is one thing to to look at. Um, and one way that you can do that is is um, I like to periodically check in and do a two or three day food journal. Where I I the app that I like is called Chronometer, and it's actually an app that we use in the AIP lecture series for a variety of different exercises to do. It's they're really like awareness. Um, exercises. So we do an analysis um, and identify nutrients that we're not getting enough of and what foods can we be adding to our diet to make sure that we're meeting those shortfalls. Um, and there's certain nutrients that on the AIP come up, uh, you know, again and again. Um, calcium is fairly common. Um, some of the B vitamins, especially biotin, is fairly common. So there's, there's certain foods that, um, you know, we can add to our diet to make sure we're getting those. So Definitely looking at am I am I meeting my body's nutritional needs is is the first question to ask, um, and that's a different focus than do I do I cut these things out that I've reintroduced, because adding foods in, um, sometimes that can undermine the nutrient density for adding in a lot of sort of like fluff you know filler foods, but also. It doesn't have to. We can still maintain that focus on nutrient density, nutrient sufficiency, even with lots of successful reintroductions. So that's that's step one. I think you know we've we've had a few um, podcast episodes lately where we've talked about things like eating breakfast, intermittent fasting, um, meal timing is definitely a thing to look at as well. Am I eating breakfast? Am I falling into a grazing pattern that is typically not great for hormone regulation. It's definitely better to eat distinct meals and have a good like five hour space between them. Am I eating too close to bedtime? That can disrupt sleep. So having a look at not just the foods that are on our plate, but also how we are balancing them together to form complete meals and eating them at, you know, separated time points. So having a look at just like how our food intake is structured throughout the day can also be something that really helps um, either contribute to, to, you know, the health setback sometimes, or just be a thing that can be dialed in to help support healing. Um, then there's all the, the activity lifestyle things, right? Activity, stress, sleep, 
Um, for me, I'm a person that uh, my flares are always driven by lifestyle factor slipping. And it typically goes, um, oh, my stress level's increasing because I've overcommitted myself in some way. And so I'm working more, so I'm sleeping less. So I um, am also now struggling with more sedentary time that is also being um, not very well balanced with a more aggressive workout because I feel bad from being so sedentary, right? And it's just like, oh, all of the things that are not good lifestyle things, they tend to like er erode and crumble together as as a whole. And it's typically, right, um, high stress is my trigger, but then all of my lifestyle stuff will sort of fall apart together. And it's because all of those things are linked. Um, and then eventually that will impact diet too, right? I'm stressed and I'm tired, so I'm craving sugar. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm having a harder time eating breakfast because my cortisol is too high in the morning. Um, all of those things kind of, they all affect each other. And so, um, having a good look at, you know, have I, have I let some aspect of the AIP lifestyle, which I know is really important for hormone regulation, immune regulation, uh, neurotransmitter regulation, right? Mental health, um, right. The health of every system in the, in the human body is, is impacted by our lifestyle choices. Have I let something there slide? Or, I mean, has, has external factors influenced my ability to implement those lifestyles? I don't want to say that it's all, I don't want to imply that, um, having our implementation of diet or lifestyle be suboptimal is always something that we actually is all the result, always the result of a choice. Sometimes it's something that we have absolutely no control over, but just having a, having a look at, um, at, you know, in a really sort of critical self-reflection, you know, how am I implementing these really key principles of the autoimmune protocol? Is there something that I can work to dial back in? And then the last one, I think th that, um, can sometimes be driving a, uh, health setback, but that we don't actually talk about enough is, um, compliance consistency with medications and supplements. So very commonly on the autoimmune protocol, we are working with like Mackenzie's working with a naturopath. I have a, a functional medicine MD, right. But we're working with often healthcare providers that have this sort of like root cause, uh, approach, um, or a very integrative approach to supporting our health. And they will have recommended either a prescription medication or a supplement or a, like a supplement regime in order to address a underlying factor that is uh, contributing to our health challenges. So maybe that is um, helping to balance some hormones or fix a nutritional deficiency or, right, support some organ system in the human body, right? So this could be as simple as um, digestive enzyme supplements with meals or a vitamin D supplement, or maybe it's adaptogens for, um, you know, adrenal dysfunction. Um, you know, it's it could be anything in there. And I think there's, uh, it's very human nature that the better you feel, the more likely you are to skip doses, um, to forget, right? Like if you feel good, it's easy to forget to take the thing that helps you get there. And sometimes it's appropriate to wean off of medications and supplements. Ideally, uh, you would do that under medical supervision. So your doctor is helping you monitor yourself for potential problems associated with that. There are definitely medications where 
um, weaning off needs to be done. You can't just discontinue them. That can be very problematic that weaning off needs to be done in a very methodical way. So whatever your medications and supplements, please talk to your healthcare provider if you want to try to discontinue any of them. Um, but that's sort of a separate, right? That's an intentional thing. What can happen is the sort of lack of intention in terms of medications and supplements. And we just start forgetting. We start forgetting to take that vitamin D every day. And then our vitamin D levels, it takes three months for them to really start dropping. <laughs> but it's, so it's the slow erosion and you don't necessarily notice. It's not like I forget my vitamin D one day and I feel terrible the next day. It's three months of forgetting more often than I remember. And suddenly I'm not actually supplementing with enough vitamin D for how much I need to keep my levels normal. So it's a, um, it's another thing to sort of look at in terms of like, am I doing the things that I know I need to do to support my best health? Um, even in the context of whatever other challenges are happening. And that's sort of a different, you know, I want to emphasize that as a, you can do that with going back to AIP, um, full elimination phase. You can do that with just cutting out those, uh, you know, sometimes foods, um, that, you know, are, are only going to work for you when everything's dialed in. Um, or you can do that in place of changing diet. So this is the other piece of the, the AIP toolkit, um, is that the principles that the autoimmune protocol is built on are really all of the most fundamental inputs to our health. And part of really, I think, the, the personal exploration and understanding of our own bodies that comes out of using the autoimmune protocol as a tool towards healing is that often we can I, I mean, ideally anyways, we can go into a health setback situation and have a really good sense of what the action items are, right? So, haha, for me personally, right? I know, okay, I've, here I am, autoimmune flare. What was my thing that got me here? It was the stress levels that undermined the sleep and changed my food preferences and all of the things, right? So, okay, I got to address the stress level. Um, so I always have my, my action step. Like that's, it's for me, it's, it's always the same thing. Um, and I think it's a fairly common, uh, a struggle that, that people will have. It's, it's often either the sleep piece or the stress piece, but because not getting enough sleep causes stress and being stressed undermines sleep quality, they often go hand in hand. I, so can I yeah. add one to that? Because I think when we say stress, I was talking about this, um, in the context of very different topic, but I think people just assume one kind of stress and there are different stresses mm, that can yep. be on your body. So we're not just talking about um, the jokes that we make about type A personalities and the tasks that we take on too much. That's one that you and I experience because of our personalities. But um, I actually want to talk a little bit about the, f the flare that I had over the last couple of months because of the stress um, that I put on my body from getting a tattoo or the stress that your body mm. takes on when I got the flu, um, or the stress that happens when you fly. Like all of those are still grouped into stresses from your body, both physical and um, mental. And so when we say, well, when you say stress, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I, I do want to just highlight for people that this isn't just like, um, 
go to yoga and it'll fix itself. There are things that happen to your body. Like I think for a lot of people with autoimmune, for example, I have a, a woman on the team who's a listener. Hi, Amanda. Um, I hope that <laughs> I hope that you just geeked out a little um, with me referring to you because I know you love the podcast. Um, she has she got the flu and has just ha- it resulted in an autoimmune mm-hmm. flare that now she's six weeks in and like she just keeps getting sick after sick after sick and that is so typical with autoimmune because once yeah. you've like worn down that part of your system it is so hard to to build back up the strength as a result and that happened with me I mentioned a while ago months ago when I got my tattoo and it like wasn't a thing for me that I I felt so good at the time I was like oh it's so small it'll be fine and it was like a snowball for almost six months and it wasn't until my hair was falling out in chunks that I was like okay I have to do something about this like this isn't I can't I'm not AIPing hard enough anymore (laughs) like this is something I need to deal with and you know it wasn't like something that someone would maybe define a certain sort of way for stress, but that was a stressor on my body that it couldn't handle. So I just, I kind of wanted like to put that out there because I think it's really important that when people are thinking about their life, it's more than just like this one thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's more than like deadlines and bills and teenagers. Yes. yes. Yeah. I thank you. I think that's a, a really important point to emphasize. Stress is sort of broadly categorized into like four different categories. So there's um, psychological stressors, which are things like deadlines and bills and teenagers. There's physical stressors, which would include toxin loads. So that it would include things like getting a tattoo, but it would also include um, alcohol or tobacco or um, even a lot of medications that we might take for um, like a really good reason may have a um, like like chemical stressor element to it. Um, you know, we're we're often looking at you know pros and cons when it comes to to things like that. Um, so that would fall under a physical stressor. There is a sensory stressor uh, category. So that includes things like. Um, being in crowds or a loud airport, right? So that would be loud noises um, or uh, visual stimulation, especially like city environments are, um, they're like visually boring at the same time as uh, being, you know, you have to be on high alert because you can't just cross the street without looking both ways. Um, So those things all fall under sensory stressors. And then the last one is environmental stressors. Um, So that actually is a really interesting one because it can be things like the length of the day changing um, and the days getting shorter in the winter and not getting enough sunlight. Um, It can include things like temperature stressors. Um, So it's um, things that are, um, again, not necessarily controllable. So, and even under psychological stressors, right? There's things that you may have the ability to say, no, I, I'm not going to take on this extra, you know, thing at work. I'm not going to, you know, work overtime this week or whatever it is, right? There's certain things that we have the option to say no to. And then there's other things that we just don't. And, you know, our listeners know that I also had a, a very massive um, health setback last fall after the, physical, sensory, environmental, and psychological stress of um, my father had a massive heart attack and was dead for 10 minutes. And I mean, he recovered and he's 
you know, fine, uh, which is just an absolute miracle. He, he really, um, he was so ridiculously fortunate, um, in, in every single part of that entire, (laughs) entire event. Um, but for me, the stress of the event coupled with, um, a really bad travel schedule to fly home, to look after him that was tacked on to a business trip, um, at the same time as, you know, my family responsibilities, like that, just the whole thing, um, the different, I went to three different, completely different climates. And so I was in three completely different types of weather in these, you know, in this, this particular trip. Um, it really, at a time where I was already stretched too thin, um, you know, it, it really is exactly the, analogy of the straw on the camel's back. The the problem was not the last straw. The problem was the 500 straws before the last straw. But once I put on the last straw, like the camel, you can't just take off the last straw and get the can, the camel can't just get back up. Um, so it was like the perfect situation for that particular analogy. Um, and you know, for me, I'm, I'm not back to what I was yet before, before that's six months later, I'm, I'm still recovering. Um, and, um, and I'm doing a, a lot better, but, um, this, this was, this is going to be a, a long, a long road for me on this one. And, um, and so there, I, I want to sort of emphasize that some stress we think we have no control over, but really when we think about it, we do, um, some stress we know we have control over, <laughs> but we just have that internal, um, I, I'm like that where I, I just, I want to say yes, because that sounds awesome. And definitely I want to do that, even though I don't have space in my life for that. Um, so that battle between um, must do and want do um, can be part of it. But there are also things that, you know, that we just really don't have control over. And um, and I think it's important to be as proactive as we can be while giving ourselves the um, acknowledgement and grace to know that sometimes, you know, things happen beyond our control. And, uh, sometimes we just end up in periods of time where we are, um, hopefully responding and not reacting, but, um, proactive is, is not an option on the table. And so we do, we do have to, um, just work to, to manage the situation and get through it. And, and I think that's, um, that can be really tough for people who've been through a health journey and have really understood the, the powers of our day-to-day choices in terms of healing. And then to feel like all of a sudden my day-to-day choices don't matter because of this external event. Um, they do still matter. It is still really important for supporting healing. Um, it's just that it's not, it's not the full picture and there's a part of this picture that we don't have control over. So, um, thank you, Stacy, for, for, uh, uh, really helping to, to make this conversation on stress a little bit more robust, because I think that, um, stress is, uh, it's such a, it's such an important piece of the puzzle that is, um, hard to recognize until, we've really taken it about seven steps too far, um, for a lot of us. And it's also, I think one of the hardest sort of hurdles to overcome 
when stress is driving a health setback. Absolutely. And I think it drives, in my opinion, my experience, a lot of the other things that you're talking about to be affected, Mm -hmm. you know, and like, yes, they all work cohesively together. But for me, that's the one that is like the driver of how everything else goes. So, um, and it's also interesting to me with my personal lifestyle changes, how my interpretation of stress and anxiety is now more clear, like the less stress that I have and the, and the more lifestyle I change, the easier it is for me to recognize when um, I start adding to that plate. And I think it's very similar to like when you do an elimination diet and then you add something back into your life and you're like, oh, nope. Tomato's still not good. Um, So um, I feel like it's probably safe, at least for me to say from my own experience, that um, if you can't feel that trigger for yourself when um, you take on too much or you or you do the thing that causes the extra stress. If you if you're not feeling that, it's probably because you're already exceeding your limit, and that's why it doesn't feel like you're going too much. And if you would have told me that a year ago, I would have been like, "No, I'm I'm fine. I'm managing." Every, <laughs> I what are you kidding? Like I've I'm, look at me. I'm rocking it. Everything's great. Um, so I, I, I just want to like reiterate, if you can't feel additional stress in a way that is, um, affects you, like you, wh- whatever that is for you, whether you have a difficult time sleeping or it causes inconsistency in your food or, um, you have anxiety or you have less patience or like whatever it is when you get stressed, it could be all of those things. Like for me, lack of patience, all the things, right? If you, if you're not feeling that like boom trigger when additional stress is added to your plate, it's probably because there's already too much stress on your plate and you're already already five triggers. Yes. And so your, your body can't give you any more signals because it's it's already told you and you're already operating at that high cortisol functioning problem area zone there's no you know there's no place else for it to go so I just my my personal experience and it is something that I think we all as you mentioned Sarah um work on and changes and evolves as our lives change. And you could be going about your day and and just really rocking everything. And then, you know, something happens to a family member or whatever that is, and it will completely change your life. And it's not a reflection of you and what you've done in maintaining your autoimmune disease or whatever it is that you have. Um, to say that, no, now you need to help yourself. Like there is, I just want to reiterate, like no shame in needing to go back to an elimination phase of AIP or in needing to sleep more or in needing to focus more on nutrient density or needing to take more supplements or work with a medical professional. Like there is absolutely no shame in that. And what you're doing is supporting and loving yourself, which is just you know, I know it's hard to see it that way because you feel like a failure. Like you feel like, oh, I solved this and now I'm going backwards. Um, but that's 
really not the case. This is not a linear progression. This is a life that has variation. And honestly, I think it means that you're living a full life. If you're experiencing those ups and downs, like who would want like a boring flat life? Nobody wants that. I could do without autoimmune flares. Though. <laughs> Come on. As exciting I trying, as they are. I tried. Okay. I tried to find <laughs> the positive. <laughs> so the, the last um, point that I really wanted to, to mention here, actually, I think, I think I've got two more points. So one is, you know, Mackenzie's question came with the explanation that she's working with her naturopath and she has, you know, test results that are giving her um, not just a, a number to, to put to the health setback that she's going through, but also, um, a like hard target of a thing to work on. So what do you do if, uh, you're sort of the opposite, you maybe you've used the autoimmune protocol successfully and you, you don't necessarily have, um, a healthcare provider beyond a general practitioner who is working with you on root cause stuff like that hasn't had, that hasn't been uh, an issue that's been forced for you in your health journey. And so you just, you don't have a functional medicine practitioner. Um, this would be a great time to start working with one. Um, because some of the things that can be behind, like physiologically behind a health setback, um, are things like the physiological responses to stress, like cortisol being, um, too high or too low at the wrong time of day or sex hormone imbalances, or nutrient deficiencies that are unlikely to be fixed with dietary changes, the the best example of which is vitamin D insufficiency. Maybe you've got some kind of gut dysbiosis, or a underlying persistent infection like Lyme, or Epstein-Barr, or H. pylori that is, um, you know, it is a dormant infection when you're not stressed. And then when you're stressed, the infection can, can wake up, right? A lot of persistent infections can do that. So, um, so the other, you know, the second to last point here is, um, to just point out something that Mackenzie's got going for her, which is that she, it sounds like she's got a really good practitioner to work with to help diagnose exactly what's going on with that setback, um, and can help support it from a healthcare professional standpoint. So, there's um, lots of great, awesome that can come out of a dialed-in diet and lifestyle, but it is not everything. And um, I think it is very common in our community for us to need something that we can't get from diet and lifestyle to support our healing. So, for example, I, I've already in this podcast mentioned um, that I need to take vitamin D uh, daily in order to keep my levels in the normal range. And I just seem to be a fairly poor vitamin D converter or synthesizer. And um, it doesn't matter how much time I spend out in the sun. Um, My body just doesn't make enough vitamin D. And um, that is definitely a functional medicine type thing that still a general practitioner is going to be able to help navigate with you. You don't necessarily need like a boutique <laughs> doctor who works on a retainer. Um, you know, this is the type of functional medicine that is fairly accessible to look at things like um, vitamin D um, or persistent infections. Those are things that often, you know, a conversation with a GP or a more conventional specialist is going to be able to help you navigate. Um, but um, if, 
especially if these types of setbacks, if you notice they're cyclical, um, if you notice patterns to your fifth trigger, um, these are often times where working with a functional or integrative medicine practitioner can really help you refine what you're doing outside of the boundaries of diet and lifestyle to really fully use everything at your disposal to support healing. And my last point is, um, one of the things that makes navigating a health challenge, um, in, in this sort of like graduated AIP phase is really understanding the ins and outs of the autoimmune protocol. So when you think about, okay, I've reintroduced all these foods and I'm supposed to be able to categorize these into foods that definitely work for me and foods that are like sometimes foods that are, you know, my body just basically tolerates, like how am I supposed to, to do that? One of the things that can really help in understanding that line between different foods and also understanding like, where do I need to pull back to? What are these really important principles that I need to look at the implementation is really understanding the science behind the facets of the autoimmune protocol, the science behind what is in this food that is supporting my health versus the exact same food that's undermining my health so that I can understand in my own personal health history context whether or not that food is likely to be, just based on what it what it contains, is that food likely to be a sometimes food for me or an everyday food for me? And that's one of the reasons why I put so much effort into uh, not just creating the autoimmune protocol lecture series, but refining it over you know the the sessions that I've taught to really hone it into uh, being an incredibly effective educational tool in terms of understanding all of the ins and outs about the autoimmune protocol diet and lifestyle and implementation and refinement. And it really is a course that is appropriate for people who are brand new to the autoimmune protocol, but also veterans who've been using it for years and are seeking that really detailed education. But as the result of my health crash last fall, I have decided to only teach one session in 2020. Um, so if you're listening to this uh, in February or early March 2020, there is still time to hop in on that one session for this year. It starts March 9th and it runs for six weeks. But once um, once you have access to the course, you retain lifetime access. So if you know that's going to be a busy time of year for you, you're going to struggle to sort of keep up with all of the materials. Don't worry because you don't you, you don't lose access to any of the course materials. Um, once those six weeks is up, the only thing you actually lose access to is the ability to directly interact with me and directly ask me questions, which you do get in this course. I, um, I personally interact with every single student and support and guide and answer questions. I answer every single question in those six weeks. Um, so I'm, I really put a lot of effort into making this the absolute best educational experience for the autoimmune protocol that you can get. And our listeners can still use the code PALEOVIEW to save $100 off of tuition. Um, and that code uh, is not going to expire. So if you listen to this in its 2021, you can go onto my website and, and find the next session. Um, you can you can easily find it. Just go to my homepage, thepaleomom.com, and scroll down. It's right there. Um, or go to the shop button, and it'll be right there as well. Um, but just, I, I really do the reason why I put so much effort into, um, creating this course and structuring it the way I did is because of how valuable that detailed level of information is 
in not just navigating the initial sort of healing on the autoimmune protocol, but navigating all of the challenges that can come up in life along the way. Um, and again, sort of not, not to, you know, certainly, I mean, our listeners know, um, it doesn't mean that we can prevent all challenges. Um, but it does mean that we have this, this really great toolbox to reach into when they crop up and, um, and that can make all the difference. Could not agree more. Um, and I think, Having that toolkit and confidence is really sometimes what we need to get over um, a lot of the things that mentally hold us back. I think um, the last thing that I want to add is that um, a lot of these health challenges that we face, um, I I in no way mean to say that they are not physical because they are, but we can aggravate our own physical symptoms by having emotional concerns and fears um, because Mm -hmm. that again is another stress that you're putting on yourself. And so educating yourself and becoming confident and believing in yourself, um, starting to accept that you have this autoimmune disease and that you love yourself enough to take care of your body and lifestyle as much as you can. These are all things that I, I know they sound like talking points, but are legit health practices to getting well because, Um, I know for me, that is one of the best ways that I can help myself out of things is it's really easy to get frustrated or disappointed when you have setbacks. And then it kind of is this like negative cycle. And the the longer you sit in that negative cycle, the more stress you're putting on yourself Mm -hmm. for those negative symptoms to kind of ferment (laughs) a bit, right? (laughs) but I think if it's like, okay, this, I understand that this is what I have and this is why it happened. I accept where I am today and I want to make improvements so that I feel better. This is what I'm going to do. And you, you know, come up with a plan and you, and you have that confidence. It's so much easier to help yourself um, and ask for help from others. So um, I encourage you to seek ways to give yourself that confidence and to not let the setbacks set you back because it's just not needed. And you, you know, you don't need to, you don't need to feel that way. I just, I don't give hugs, but I'm giving you a hug through the podcast right now. I'm feeling a virtual hug for me right now. Virtual hugs I can give all day long. It's my actual personal space that I would like to protect. (laughs) So uh, take home message, knowledge is power. A hundred percent. And that's why we love that you're here listening to the podcast, getting educated. And we hope that you are sharing that gift with others, sharing knowledge. The best gift that you could give us is sharing this podcast with others. So if you loved it, if it was helpful, um, if you know someone in your life who you think could benefit from listening, we cannot thank you enough when you share and recommend the podcast when you leave reviews so that others can feel confident and um, spending their time listening to the podcast. And uh, I just want to thank you for being here and for listening. And we'll be back again next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The Paleo View. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes. You can also support us by shopping for our favorite paleo products on the sidebars of our individual websites or by donating through PayPal.
I said your line. You, to- well, you, you totally said, and then I said it again. And you know, our listeners are. It's double I, thankful for listening. They're tolerant, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> There's like six people left at the end anyways. <laughs> no, I think there might be seven. It's fine. <laughs> Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.